0: Welcome to the Hope Beyond Trauma podcast. I'm your host, Rhoda Hostetler. There are literally millions of listening options out there, but today you chose this one. I hope whichever episode you're about to hear gives you something worthwhile to think about and a greater ability to love. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, good afternoon, Rebecca. And good afternoon, Rhoda. It's so good to be here. Um, it's good to have you on. I really enjoyed reading your "Untwisting Scriptures" books. I found them to be super helpful. There were uh, so many ideas or principles that I had begun to see in Scripture that were different from the way I was taught and. Yet I didn't have the skills to study well enough to articulate it uh, the way you did. And so your books were so helpful for me. So I'm super excited about this.
1: I'm very thankful to hear that. The same has been true for me. I'm always so thankful when a writer can take something that's been kind of amorphous in my mind and they put shape to it with their words. And I think, oh, that is wonderful. It was sort of what I was thinking, but this helps me solidify it.
0: Yes. There, there are times where we know that something is off. We know what we do not believe, but we have a hard time articulating that which we actually do believe. Yes.
1: Yes. I get it.
0: So the first question for today is what were the original goals that you had when you started the untwisting scriptures series?
1: Well, you have to understand that I didn't start writing a book. That was not in my head. What I started was trying to answer people on social media. And I kept hearing the same, what I felt like were completely out of context, unbiblical objections, and I was trying to answer those. And I was answering them so often that I, I need to make a place like a clearinghouse of ideas so I don't have to keep writing the same thing out over and over. I can just link people to the answer that I've already written. This, and this was having to do with Bob Jones University and the uh, sexual abuse investigation going on at Bob Jones University back in 2014, 2013, 2014, around in there. And even before that, a sexual abuse survivor or two who had come into my life was talking about these things that they were told. And I was thinking, that's not the heart of God. That's not the heart of God. That's not who God is. Why are people doing that? And so I was trying to explain and I started trying to write and I started putting it on social media on this blog called BJU Grace. And then eventually in 2017, I started putting it on my own website. Here's the joy. Or, or before 2017. But in 2016, that's when I compiled everything and put it into the first book. So it was all just an organic development, starting small and growing. Well, that's, that's fascinating that
0: it wasn't, you weren't sitting down saying, hey, I'm going to write a book, and I'm going to publish it. It I, was, mm-mm. you saw a need and you had a gift and you used your gift to step into that need.
1: I didn't even, I wasn't even sure I had a gift. What I saw was that there were some pretty, what I thought were shocking errors out there. And I was exposing the errors and trying to explain what was true. I just saw a need. I didn't know I had a gift. But then someone told me, Rebecca, I think your strength is analysis. And I said, well, good. That's good to know. I'm glad to find out I have a strength. So I will keep on doing that. And I just,
0: I did. Analysis, writing, relationships, um, yeah, you've, you've got multiple gifts. Don't undersell yourself.
1: Well, that was in 2014, 2015. So it was like I was just entering the world of abuse within the church. And so I was just finding my way in those days.
0: Oh, Okay. So what are some practical ideas you have for believers who are untwisting scriptures that were used abusively?
1: Well, it is really, really hard because, and I've talked about this recently in another interview, that these scriptures can actually be triggering. It's not just that you don't understand them. It's that they can actually send you into a bad place when you read them or hear them, even if the person saying them isn't trying to harm you with them. It, so, so the main recommendation I would have is first of all, seek the Lord. God, I want to know who you really are because I don't think it's that because these people hurt me using script. Sometimes they did it using scriptures or sometimes they hurt you and then somebody else was using scriptures to enable them. And so pressing into God, I want to know who you really are. Would you show me who you really are? And then you might go to some, somebody who's been working on it like me or, or some of the many other people Or just dig into the scriptures yourself. I've talked about pressing when you're ready to press into the triggers and say, I want to understand what this really means. Some people that I've talked to said, well, the main, one of the main ways I have healed is by really pressing into those scriptures, not running from them, but saying, I want to get what they mean in context, what the words mean and, and all of that sort of thing. So I can truly understand the heart of God. That's a
0: really good point yeah when we as believers read scripture when we read god's word to us there should not be condemnation there should not be harshness there should not be uh this fearfulness like that is not from god that is not how
1: god presents his voice and well so just, yes just to i just want to stick something in there he did come across as very, very, harsh to one group of people Yes, I'm thinking of, of the Lord Jesus right now. So some people, if they read the Bible and actually are willing for their own hearts to be exposed, might fit in the category of the Pharisees. They have been presenting themselves one way in public, but they've actually been harming people behind the scenes. So I would say if the shoe fits then go ahead and put it on put yourself in the place of the pharisees if you've been presenting yourself as godly in public but you're harming people in private that's when the it's accurate to see and those are harsh words of jesus he calls them vipers he calls them whited tombs Uh, he says they're the blind leading the blind so so it's a very strong language there so for the for the ones who've been harmed he's very tender but for the ones who've been doing the harming, yes, he's he's he doesn't mince words. Right.
0: That's a very good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, thinking of survivors who read scripture, it's such a common complaint for survivors, as well as I have some other friends who've just gone through mental health struggles, depression, or OCD, and they talk about opening the scriptures and hearing harshness and hearing condemnation, and they wouldn't fit... In what you describe, like they're very troubled by it. They're very troubled by their difficulty in reading scriptures, and to say this this isn't God's heart for you, and yet to to not just walk away from scripture because it is truth that sets us free. Like we need to be in the Word, and we need to be o- able to overcome those triggers that pull us away from scripture.
1: Yes, absolutely. So important.
0: What have some uh, reviews or blog comments or social media conversations revealed to be some of the most helpful topics of any of the three Untwisting Scriptures books or just in general, the, the things you discuss on the blog? What are some hot topics?
1: Well, that's a pretty big topic because there are a lot of things that I've addressed uh, some people have said my website is a little overwhelming, and I, when I and I think, you know, I know it intimately, so it's not overwhelming to me, but when I go look, try to look at it like somebody else, I say, oh, yeah, there are a whole lot of topics addressed on here. In the books, in the first Untwisting Scriptures book, I addressed the concept of giving up your rights, what biblical bitterness really is, and um, taking up offenses, and then in the second one, I talked about children obey your parents, especially for, uh, applying it to adult children, uh, rebellion being the sin-like witchcraft, loyalty, obeying your elders, your church elders, and questions like that. And in this third one, I addressed your words and your emotions. So under your words, it was things like gossip, bearing false witness, slander, speak no evil. And in the second half, under the emotions, it was things like how how people say that that reason is is more godly than emotion. And uh, I address the, the topics of anger and fear, spend a lot of time on fear and empathy. I guess over the long haul, the topic that I get the most emotional feedback about is the topic of bitterness. People coming to me and saying, thank you so much for explaining what biblical bitterness really is. But the most hot-button topic right now, I think, is the topic of empathy, because that's being discussed in some of the uh, larger evangelical circles, that empathy is a sin, when I believe that teaching that empathy is a sin, teaching it to uh, future pastors and missionaries in seminaries is extremely detrimental to the Church of God, and we'll have... If it carries on, it'll have long-term, terrible, terrible effects.
0: Oh, goodness. I have so much that I could say to what you just said. Like the bitterness topic really resonated with me when I read your book because I had already noticed in scripture that Job grieves bitterly. I had noticed that David grieves bitterly. You can't read of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and sugarcoat his the, the soul torment he was in. And so I knew that there had to be some level of humanity found like not sinful humanity, just being a human found in that. And yet I didn't have the, like, I didn't have the study skills to go, okay, this was introduced back with Rebecca and Esau. And, um, I'm sorry about that. And we would never say that rebecca was sinfully bitter when yeah, and that's
1: talking about the biblical rebecca not the rebecca that you're interviewing right <laughs> um but
0: then with with empathy i want to touch on that one as well it it just it blows my mind that that is okay did you lose my audio okay listeners i don't know what happened we had an audio issue with zoom so we are going to pick up the conversation where we left off, and um yeah, we'll get right back into it. We were discussing empathy, and I think I was saying that I can hardly believe that this is even a conversation in the Christian church right now. It, it just baffles me how we are here.
1: Yes, well... Uh- No matter how we got here, it's really important for us who care about people to teach what's true and to expose the wrong teaching. Yes. I think if I were to make my
0: best guess, and I just recently left fundamentalist Christianity, um, so I... Don't know that I have the authority to speak to all of Christendom, but I would say that here in the West, we are a proud people, and we are a people who we are powerful, and we love our power nationally, individually, and that combination of a love of our pride and a love of our power, we are proud of our power. It goes against empathy. You have to be willing to lay down your love for power if you are going to love vulnerable people if you're going to empathize. And I wonder if that, if some of our cultural pride and our cultural love of power is driving the notion that empathy is a sin.
1: That could be. Yes, I know I know a lot of beautiful, wonderful, highly empathetic people, but uh, some people in positions of, of authority and uh, religious power are teaching that it's a sin, and that's a huge problem.
0: That's a very Pharisee position to take, if I may say.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: We we serve. We we claim to worship a God who would die for us, and and did yes. yes, yes. And in his life, he gravitated towards the lowly, the outcast, the ones who were so shamed that nobody would associate with them. He, he was empathetic, empathetic. And I just, we, we cannot follow him and also love our power and scorn the vulnerable. Right. Speaking of spiritual abuse, you have spoken against Bill Gothard and that cult. And you've said that at one point in time, you adored him. Can you please describe that journey of realizing how dark the teachings were getting out and then beginning to speak out? Like it had to be, there had to be some bridge crossed for you to use the word cult to describe that which you once adored.
1: All right. Well, just to be clear, I was never in the cult. I loved him as a teenager and in my early 20s when I went to what was then called the Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts, which was. Renamed the Institute in Basic Life Principles. And in the early 90s, my husband and I went to the advanced seminar, which meant we would qualify to be an advanced training institute family. We could be in Bill Gothard's home school group, which was a goal of mine. I wanted to do that because it just seemed so wonderful. And so I was all excited about that. We had three children, I think, at that time. We eventually had four children. But um, I after we went, I said, Okay, now we can join ATI, ATIA, it was called in those days. And he said, This is my husband. He said, I don't want another man telling us how to conduct our family. And that was basically the end of that. We did not join ATI and we never became a Bill Gothard family. We didn't have the internet in those days. So once I realized it wasn't gonna be a thing for us. I knew a few ATI families and kind of followed along a little bit with what they were doing, but I didn't follow closely. And eventually our path went very different. Uh, I didn't know families anymore who were in ATI. And it wasn't until like, oh, 2011 or 2012, when the Recovering Grace website came up, I saw the word cult there, and I thought, oh my goodness, I didn't know that. And then people who had been in Bill Gothard, the Bill Gothard Homeschooling Program, ATI, started talking to me. And then I thought, oh my goodness, you know, I am learning what it was we avoided when my husband said, I don't want another man telling us how to how to conduct our family. I had no idea this is what we were avoiding. No idea. But when i heard people saying things like you should surrender your rights and you should um repent of the sin of bitterness when you know because if you're bitter then and if you take up offenses for people then you're the bitterest person in the whole world when i heard all those things i didn't immediately remember it as being from bill gothard although it was because it had been like 30 or 40 years because you know i'm pretty old It had been a long time since I had been in the Gothard seminars that I loved so much. When I listened to these people and I started uh, refuting these false teachings, it was a while before I, as in my research, I realized, oh my word, this is what I sat under. This is what I love. My red notebook is in the attic somewhere. I'm going to go find it because for some reason, all through the years with all our moves, I always saved that red notebook thinking, eh, I might want to look at it again someday. And so here was the day I wanted to look at it. I pulled it out. I went and read my very own notes on these things. And I thought I was, I was deceived. I was one of these deceived people, but I was in my teens and my early twenties and I had put it away and hadn't really looked at it again after my husband said, no, after he said, that's not a good idea. So It was like a new revelation to me to think, now I can say, yeah, I can see how this was a cult, but I didn't come out of it. I loved it and wanted to be in it, but I never really was in it.
0: Okay, that that clarifies things. That makes sense to me. How how amazing that your husband had that wisdom to just really he was taking responsibility for his own family and he was not going to let another man take that responsibility from him
1: yes and and i've had several people tell me that wow that was really wise he was a young he was pretty young uh, i guess early 30s by then and and uh he just he saw it clearly and and he had appreciated some things about the gop seminars but he hadn't he hadn't liked everything he heard whereas for me i was like oh i'm gung ho you know if there's something that doesn't sound quite right don't worry about it we'll just keep going and it, it was it was really quite different i was very much a Gothard follower and he was much more skeptical and i really needed to see i needed to see the result of people coming out of something that was a cult i needed to read the recovering grace stories which i fully believed when i read them
0: they and, were horrible
1: Yes, yes. Terrible, terrible stories. And and they made a deep effect on me. And I never doubted them. So putting all these pieces together, and then with the people who were talking to me, outside of Recovering Grace, just not even necessarily Gothard, they hadn't gone through ATI, but maybe their parents had had believed and taught some of these same things, because they aren't just Bill Gothard teachings. Some of them are quite ubiquitous in the church.
0: His teachings have spread far beyond his immediate reach. Back in the day, like I'll, I'll hear yeah. pieces of his teachings, and I'm like, "Oh, that's a gothardism." And do people yes, even me know? Too. Me do too. Do people
1: even know where it comes from? And I don't think yes. people do. One of the, one of the main books I refuted in, I think it was the first, untwisting scriptures book with rights and bitterness, was Nancy Lee DeMoss Wolgamon Now, who who taught all these things? And when I read her book it sounded just like Gothardism to me. It was years later that I found out that she was good friends with Bill Gothard. And I thought, well, that makes perfect sense because what she teaches is Gothardism.
0: The, the bitterness thing, I, I keep thinking about that. I wanna move on to some of the other questions, but I was recently reminded that Simon the Sorcerer, Peter rebuked him for bitterness. And if your functional definition of bitterness is someone who is in a lot of pain, that doesn't make sense. But if your functional definition of bitterness is a biblical definition, which is that uh, they believe that God himself will not hold them to account, and they are willing to desecrate the holy and elevate uh, that which is not sacred, then that makes total sense. Simon the sorcerer was bitter against God. He was not in bitter grief, though.
1: Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those, script- because I believe there are only six scriptures that use the concept of bitterness in a, in an obviously negative way, the vast majority of grief, like, as you mentioned, Isaac and Rebecca and, and uh, Naomi, who renamed herself Mara because she was grieving uh, and Mara means bitter. But these six scriptures that show that bitterness is something sinful. I, I dig, I don't avoid those. I dig right into them to say, let's look at what, what the sinful bitterness really is. And, since the concept of bitterness means poison or having something having to do with poison, I distinguish between the grieving bitterness that is like poison that's been inflicted on a person's heart and the sinful bitterness or destructive bitterness, which is poison that someone inflicts, that is inflicted by someone. And that would be an example of what Simon, the sorcerer was doing. He, in his his bitterness, he wanted the power that comes with having the holy spirit without having the holy spirit so it sounded just like abusers to me they want that power and control but they don't want the uh the power of god in their lives
0: yes simon the sorcerer would have degraded the holy spirit and elevated the gift of power to yes. switch those around and that would have been yeah his bitterness i wonder sometimes if the bitterness label when it comes to grief, if sometimes it's just a way of someone saying, hey, I have never grieved as deeply as I see you grieving and the depth of your grief makes me uncomfortable. So I'm going to short circuit that by rebuking you for sin. And then the person who's grieving bitterly finds themselves in a position of they need, they still need comfort and they still want friendship and companionship in their grief. And yet they need to repent of this sin. They don't have this sin. The Holy spirit has not put on their hearts to repent of it's, I I really wish more of the church would read your book um, on that.
1: And so many people who are grieving, who have bitter grief, don't understand that that's what it is because, because they so much of our Western culture does not understand grief. And don't really talk about grief just in the last five years or so, 10 years maybe. I've seen more discussion about grief in books and online, and I'm very glad to see that and lament and so forth. But many people who are grieving do not understand that's what's happening because grief is so confusing. Confusion is one of the factors of grief, fear, anger. It's not like it's just one clean emotion because many people might equate grief with sadness, and sadness is part of grief, but all these other emotions are part of it too, all in a big tangled ball. And so often people are trying to repent of it because they do think it's, it's sinful bitterness because that's what they've been told, but repenting of it doesn't fix it because that's not what it is. And it's still something that, that has to be worked through. And as I've said before, Grief is not something to repent of. It is something to be walked through and hopefully with a compassionate, empathetic other who's willing to walk through it with you.
0: Absolutely. I think in grief, that's a a great opportunity to remember Jesus as our comforter and as our friend, not just as a solution to our sins. And I don't want to, I mean, he is our savior. Thank God. Yes. He is, he is that,
1: but also our comforter and our friend for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why he's called the good shepherd. He, he tends to his, he gently cares for his sheep.
0: One aspect of grief is doubt. I know this isn't, you won't probably won't find this in a lot of psychological research. We we talk about shock, anger, sadness, um, acceptance and i'm forgetting the fifth one but when you read the psalms over and over doubts are verbalized and they are verbalized often in an angry or confrontational or desperate manner so what would you have to say to survivors or grievers who seem close to abandoning their faith they find the task of untwisting false beliefs while finding genuine believers in a healthy church just overwhelming
1: uh it is very very hard to find a good safe church because churches are made up of many different people from many different walks of life and some of them will be wolves in sheep's clothing while there might be safe people in there it can be really hard to find them so i can understand going to church can feel like walking into an area with landmines like you don't know where you're stepping but when it comes to reading the bible and i've talked about this before and I'll actually be giving a workshop on this at a retreat in April of April of 2022, that when, it, when you are trying to re-approach the scriptures, that the Psalms is the best place to go first. And many, many people have attested to that, that just soaking in the Psalms, because of all the strong emotions expressed, is healing for their souls. And some people, just to try to be safe, have shut down their emotions because expressing emotions was absolutely unsafe in the environment they were in, either as a child or, uh, as a, or in a marriage, or as an adult under abusive parents or in a cult, under a spiritually abusive authority. So expressing emotions, except anything except this uh, plastic smile was considered unsafe or, or was unsafe for them. So now they're unable to express emotions. They want to, but they can't. And so as they're working through that healing, either with a therapist or someone else who can help them, they're reading the Psalms and they're looking at how David expresses the emotions. And then they're praying those Psalms back to God. God, can you hear me? Will you hear what I'm expressing to you now, will you hear this? This agony, this terror, this fear, this this shame, all these, all these emotions I'm ex- I'm trying to express to you as I pray the psalms back to you.
0: I absolutely agree with that. I have friends who have not walked through violence in a, in a religious setting who would say the same thing that when they did go through deep grief. The Psalms were so meaningful and so helpful in allowing them to grieve. And for me, I, there, were, there was a long period of, of years, I want to say, in my teen years where I now understand that it was the grief and the trauma. I could not cognit- cognitively process heavy information. I couldn't do deep studies. I, I was not going to figure out what people meant by the Romans road, but I could read the Psalms. And so I read the Psalms over and over, and that was my mental capacity, and that was what my heart needed.
1: That you just used the word capacity, and that's what I was going to say something about. And it's not just mental capacity. It is emotional capacity, spiritual capacity. And when I first started getting into the realm of extreme abuse, like things that you can't even imagine people would do to other people, I would come to the Lord and say, Lord, I have the capacity of a thimble. It's like this, I cannot hold what these people are telling me. So would you increase my capacity? Because you have all the capacity in the world. And the Lord did answer that prayer and start increasing that. But when people have gone through abuse, their capacity can just be very, very small. And what they receive will, they'll experience runoff. It's like a desert land that hasn't received rain in a long, long time, a, a dry wilderness where the ground is hard and cracked. When there's, a, when there's rain, the rain will, will run off at first. It won't, it'll just, it won't sink in, just barely, maybe just an inch or two. And that land has to keep receiving rain over and over, over time not all at once, but over time for that land to eventually become able to soak up the rain. So as the truth is that land that's already wet can hold rain better than dry land can. It seems counterintuitive. You'd think that the dry land would hold rain better than the wetland, but wetlands, even even uh, geographically wetlands can hold more rain than dry land can. So as you come to the Lord, you might feel like, Oh, emotionally, this is just running off. I can't, I can take only just a little tiny bit at a time. That's fine. Recognize that that's the way it's going to be for a while and just take the little bits that you can, and then expect that over time, you'll be able to get a little bit more and a little bit more because the capacity is building and, be asking the Lord to increase your capacity and that will will help because that's, Rhoda, that's what you were describing. Your capacity was your the numbness, the emotional shutdown, just the weariness make for a, a, a smaller capacity and the Lord can op- open that capacity over time.
0: That's very, very helpful information and it's a good segue into the point of Like how can church walk well with survivors? I think one of the best gifts any pastor or church friend or community group can give someone who is grieving deep grief or grieving a story that they kept quiet for decades is the gift of repetition. Tell them over and over and over what the truth is and don't don't be impatient and don't feel as if because the truth is running off that none of it is sinking in. Like, it, like you described, that, that dry ground does not receive well, but it still needs
1: the rain so badly. Yes. And, and when you say tell them over and over what the truth is, it's really important that church leaders be trauma-informed enough to understand which truths are helpful and which truths are not helpful during this time, like they may think, and it may even be true. You've got to get your emotions under control. Maybe they do need to get their emotions under control, but that is not helpful to say to them. What's helpful to say is it wasn't your fault. The Lord loves you deeply. I wish I had answers, but I don't have answers to everything. I am willing to walk with you. I care about you. Things like that. Those are the truths. Those are the the truth statements that can be helpful, not things like you need to repent of the sin of bitterness because the the person in the position to help might genuinely believe that's true, but you need to get trauma informed. You need to understand what biblical bitterness really is. There there are ways that church leaders, and not just church leaders, but church people in general, need to educate themselves and become better informed about what, what abuse survivors have actually endured, what they have endured, and then how they can be helped. So we have to go into some deep, deep darkness To understand these things and the Lord is big enough for that he is big enough to walk with us into that deep darkness and be with us so that we can have a heart big enough to receive and to love those who have been deeply deeply wounded in the body of Christ
0: absolutely our our pattern is Jesus
1: and he went into the darkness for us yes yes um, this... Yes, he went in search about Little Lost Lamb. I think about that often. So, question number six here. You
0: basically answered it. I'm going to ask it anyways in case it brings up something else that you wanted to mention. What would you have to say to a pastor who genuinely loves his people and deeply wants to help them overcome spiritual abuse? but just isn't aware of commonly misinterpreted passages or phrases and may inadvertently or unintentionally communicate a harmful message?
1: Well, if a pastor is the person that you just described, then he already has the biggest trait that I would want to see, and that's humility. He has a a pastor or other church leader or any church person, any Christian, would have to see that they can harm people with their teachings and inadvertently and want want to learn. The desire is the first step. And of course, being trauma-informed the things I just talked about, getting someone possibly to come to your church and give a training. There, I know some organizations that do that and individuals, and also listening to the survivors. Listen to them. Instead of feeling like you need to fix them, listen to them. You know, one of the very best services Christians can render is listening. And as long as people have two working ears, that is something anybody can do. Anybody can do that. When I first got into this work, 2006, I came in knowing zero because a woman was thrust into my life by the Lord who was coming out of an extremely abusive, uh, toxic, just incredibly concentration camp abusive marriage and her, and her uh, many children as well. And he was an elder in the church. This was my first exposure. And I, all I did was listen for a long time. Because I knew that I didn't know anything. And that's what I would encourage people to do. People who want to help. Start listening.
0: That's really, really good advice. Um, Something I've thought about often when I read the Old Testament and I pay attention to the prophets is when you specify what a prophet's area of service was. And then you look back at what they went through to prepare them. There's often, um, a parallel between what they went through and then how they served others. Um, just Jonah, for example, he went through disobedience and punishment and he goes to Nineveh to prophesy about repentance, obedience, or punishment. Um, yeah, yes. Yeah. That's just that's one good. example. So it, it really, it just, it saddens me when people silence those who have gone through pain because those are the voices who are going to um, someday be healthy enough and have the wisdom to guide others out of it and if you silence them or tell them to be more healed than what you would even be willing to expect for
1: yourself to be healed
0: you're you're limiting a gift to the body
1: yes and you talked earlier about wanting to silence people because you're uncomfortable not you but but anyone, and you 're talking now about wanting them to be more healed than you would expect of yourself. I think there are lots of people out there who think to themselves, "If I were going through what you were going through, I would be trusting the Lord. I would be walking in faith and because they 're lacking in empathy and they 're lacking in that ability to step into the shoes of someone else, and that 's what empathy means, being able to step into their shoes and see things through their eyes and that's a huge part of what's needed and as we sit and listen to people and ask the Lord while we're listening this is active listening I'm talking about active listening that isn't like trying to jump in to say the next thing and and forget what the other person said but active listening that is trying to truly listen between the lines trying to truly understand the the other person's life and asking the Lord Lord help me to hear what it is I need to hear From what this person is saying that kind of active listening is going to go deep into our hearts and then when they say something like why did god let this happen to me well that's one of the most common questions we can get and what are you going to say is that going to be too uncomfortable a question for you you not meaning rhoda but you people in general and so are you going to run from this kind of encounter because you don't have an answer to that You have to be willing to sit in the lack of answers with them, which can be very uncomfortable and then trust our God is big enough. I don't have an answer for that right now, but I'm going to keep talking to God about that. And I have said to people when they say this to me, which they do all the time, I wish I knew. And I, I've been complaining to God about that for a long time and I'm looking for answers to that too. So I know, you know, you could give standard answers like the free will of man that, you know, he allows evil to take place. But those are more the theoretical answers and not the in your life right now answers that people need. But what we can say, even when we don't have answers to those things, is even though it's hard, even though I don't have answers, I want to walk with you. And I know, I know the Lord wants to walk with you, too. The Lord Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, he wants to walk with you too. He is grieved by what happened too. So even though it's not neatly wrapped up with a bow, we can still be there. That's part of what it means to love the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, that it's, it's, not, it's not neat. It's, it can be very, very messy, but that still that's what we're called to do.
0: So good. So good. It's, yeah, when you read the Psalms, when you read Job, there, there are a lot of questions. Why do the wicked prosper? If I could, I would go stand before God and I would argue my case before him and he would hear me. Yes. You hear those themes when you sit with survivors and those themes, I, I've been in Asia. It, it is, it is cross-culture. It is across religions. We don't understand the complexity of our world and it it really really hurts sometimes to not understand but you you said something there that when you were pointing out how jesus grieves with them we don't have the answers entirely to god's mind we don't have the answers to why he chooses to allow the specific circumstances that he allows but we as believers we can remind our friends of his heart and we can exemplify his heart. And we yes. Yes. don't need the answers as deeply as they need his heart.
1: Yes, that's right. And that, that, that can be really hard for them too. I want answers. And, and sometimes people will say, I just want to be fixed. I just want to be on the other side of this. But in the journey of healing, through the Lord Jesus Christ, they will come to know his heart. And there is no greater gift than knowing and understanding and drawing close to the heart of God. That in itself is a great gift and is, well, I can say that some of my friends would say it's worth the journey.
0: I was just thinking the same thing. Like there when I'm in the moment of pain, it is raw and it's ugly. And I say things in prayer that I would not generally say in real life to another person. Um, but then when I'm doing much better or when I, when I've healed a little bit more, I look back, I'm like, you know what? I'm so glad. I'm so glad I have Jesus. I'm so like, it was worth it. And it's, it's redemption. That's redemption is yes. healing. And yet when you're in the pain, the question of is the redemption going to be enough to outweigh this pain feels very real
1: and very heavy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I get it. But praise God. He, he can carry people through in the work that I do. I see him doing this regularly, carrying people through being with being very present with them in their confusion, their grief, their pain, and ultimately carrying them through.
0: Yes, I've, I've seen the same thing. And it, it gives me um, tenacity when I'm sitting with another friend who's going through deep grief, like let them ask the hard questions, let them withdraw, um, let them, you know, grieve in unhealthy ways. God is going to pull them through. Like God loves them more than I love them. Yes. Amen. He does. The last question I have is where can my listeners access your work? And I will put links in the show notes for listeners who want to go f- straight from listening to accessing your work.
1: Thank you. My blog is here's com. I will write. I don't only write on twisting scriptures topics there. I also write about the Christian life. And that's how it started. It started as a devotional blog, like um, 13 years ago, I think. And then it transitioned to an advocate blog as I came into this world. And then the books are available on Amazon, the Untwisting Scriptures books. I have 20, I think it's 20 books in publication right now, but only three in the Untwisting Scriptures series. I wrote a book with a pastor about domestic abuse. I wrote a book with another pastor about sexual abuse in the church. And so there are those books for adults. And then I, before I was doing this work, I was writing nonfiction for children. And so some of those books are up there too. But I am in the process of starting book number four in the Untwisting Scriptures series. I'm hoping that will be out before the end of the year.
0: Yay. I am always <laughs> up for another untwisting scriptures book. From you.
1: Thank you. I'm looking forward
0: to it. All right. Thank you so much for your time today. I, I sincerely hope that people go check out your work and um, especially any pastors who are listening to this. Um, if yeah, what I would have to say to a pastor who genuinely loves his people and wants to help them overcome but just isn't aware of those misinterpreted passages or phrases is exactly what you said about humility. And then I would add, go buy the Untwisting Scriptures books and don't counsel anybody until you've read them.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Rhoda. It's been very good to talk with you and I wish you all the best.
0: All right. Same to you. Have a good rest of your day and thank you again. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Please find the Hope Beyond Trauma Facebook page or Facebook group and begin to interact with other listeners and myself there. I try to pay attention to audience discussion in order to meet needs or to answer questions, so your interactions there can help to guide future episodes. I hope you leave today's episode encouraged, hopeful, and thinking about ways to love people well in your off-screen life.